As we do. Um, what, what thing? Sitting, sitting on a couch. Sitting on the I couch. I fucking love couch. You know what I love more? <laughs> sitting on the sofa together. Oh, this is uh, this is not a sofa. This uh, this is a couch. This is a couch. Yeah, I would know. What's the what's the what would you prescribe the difference? Uh, according to Google searches, you can verify this on your own time, uh-huh, but. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear it from the expert, though. According to many sources that know well, such as myself. Yeah. A, a, a sofa's classier than a couch. You, There's not a real great definition, but you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. And <laughs> this, my friend, is just a couch. It is just a couch. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm okay with it. I'm all right with that. Uh, that assessment, that understanding. You know what you need. What do I need? You need a sofa <laughs> from the Sofa King. <laughs> from the Sofa King. At his sofa store up in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Are you still running with that? You're still running with the... Okay. No, you're fine. You you continue running with that. I well, need, no, that's I'm, where my store is. That is where your store is. It's in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Lidditz, Pennsylvania. It's about uh, an come, hour and 23 minutes. Come on Come on up. <laughs> Uh, get get yourself get yourself the sofa. It's the difference between uh, uh, the cultured and the uncultured. Are you a swine? <laughs> get what, yourself a couch. How would you judge me based on? But my... are you a classy man? Based are you a classy lady? Are you a classy in between? Get yourself a sofa from the Sofa King. Oh my god. <laughs> we could cut that out. No, no, oh, fuck. I... I uh, I definitely don't have to introduce you now, which is good because you introduce yourself. You take. You Can take, you introduce me? I am. I'm Captain Death. This is episode 179. We're definitely getting Say there. Say what you will. And I am here, sitting on my couch, with Sofa King. Ho ho! Ho ho! Ho ho! Sofa King! Sofa King! It's great to be here on the couch. I'm glad to have you back. Uh, there was a point in time during the, uh, let's say, the quarantine, where I was worried about asking people to come here and do this with me because you know naturally there's a uh, there's a brevity that you have to breach in order to say like, hey, are you comfortable enough being alone with me? <laughs> like, like I, you can trust me. I never really am, but my phone is always recording. The NSA is always listening. Uh, no, I have uh, I, I have my phone recording and sending out to a third-party location when I come to your okay. Uh, location. Okay. I always do. Uh, I just know that when I'm here, I'm not family. You're not. You're not. 
<laughs> when I'm here, I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not family. Frankly, I'm not family. <laughs> frankly, I, I just am kind of a guy. You are you are my humbled guest. You are my valued guest. I, I'm a king. <laughs> you are my king. My, I'm the my liege. King. And uh, um, we're we're doing something funny today. Uh, I think we're doing something funny. You don't know what we're doing. Not really. Um, you don't know. You don't know the effects of what we're doing today. But what we're doing is a classic fucking episode. When we brought you on, I say we. I mean me. When the, the entity that when is the you. pasta when the pasta brought you on when yes. you entered the pasta, um, the spaghetti verse. We sat you down with single stories. You yes. Your last. This is your third episode. Congratulations. Third Thank episode. you. Third. I, I finally feel comfortable. You know. Yeah. I feel comfortable. You're not family, but you're you're comfortable. But I'm comfortable. I'm you and know, at least an acquaintance. This is the third episode, point. and we're gonna do what I'm calling a classic. Uh, our listeners would know what I mean by this. Uh, this is uh, this is I'm talking a pre-episode like fifty type type of episode where we just kind of uh, we got a charcuterie plate in front of us uh. with a different sampling, a different smattering, if you will, of sources that we're gonna hop between, and we're gonna read short stories. It's been a while since I've done an episode like this. Anyone who's who's been listening to the last couple episodes has been getting one or two part stories for the last 10 episodes enough of that we're gonna do short stories and it's my first time doing short stories with sofa king and let me tell you i have the fig jam of stories the dijon mustard on the charcuterie i sure hope i sure hope so because it's all random shit and some of it might suck but if it sucks we will we will make it not suck we that's our job having a good time that is actually our job here to to do to do that exact thing, because because if this is if this is painful, oh, it actually, will be never painful. mind. I was gonna say that might not be fun to listen to, but I imagine it is fun to listen to because I've done that exact thing before, reading multiple stories that that hurt me to read, <laughs> and people enjoy it because the pain is evident. I think that a painful story would bring us personally more joy. Maybe not you as the listener, but I think the two of us. No, apparently the listeners are into it, man. That's cool. I'd say it's cool. I'd say it's really cool. They, they love Good some job, of guys. Our, they, I have, I have two or three people who applaud us on our shitty episodes. So do they, do they actually applaud? I'm, I, when I say, listen, when I say, I'm listening that, <laughs> When I say that one of my listeners does nothing but listen to, like, one shitty episode over and over again, hmm. and I just see the listens talk up on that episode, and then I click on it, and I go into the stats, and I go, who's listening to this fucking episode? Who are you? And it's always the same person. I do nothing but laugh, because it's it's not a good episode. He just likes it, because he finds it funny. And it's a troll episode where we read purposefully bad stories. So I hope there are no stories with trolls, because I'm not about that. No, I, I, I definitely... We're not reading any troll pastas tonight. I really hope uh, not. We're, we're not... Uh, there is a time and there is a place for troll pastas, and that is not uh, right now. Not in the presence of a king. No. Oh! Oh, <laughs> oh so for king! And um, you said you said you were listening to uh, to some of our episodes before you before you arrived. Yeah, I was. Uh, how how do you how do you fancy your your first two episodes? So the first episode, I I listened to like 
10 minutes and I, I, I was thinking, well, why did I get so high? <laughs> you, you know yourself. Why did you let yourself do this? I and think it's funny. It was funny, but I, I don't hate the way my voice sounds, but I, I really hated how it sounded in that episode specifically. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there are there. Are people, I don't know what that is. There are people on the show is. who, um, who genuinely don't listen to their own episodes just because yeah. they don't they don't like the way they sound and they just they they have this like kind of feeling about them. They'll listen to other episodes, but they I think won't listen to their own. It's really easy to criticize yourself. Absolutely, it's too easy. We are too hard on ourselves. We are here and we are hard. I was going to say, we are here and we are queer, but we are not. No, we are just hard. of those things. Two guys and being hard together. So, I wanted to start this off with a little, a little story. Um, this happened to me the other day. Um, I, I burnt some of my hair on fire. How did that happen? So I have I have really long hair. Shit, you do! Holy shit, dude! I'm showing you right now how much hair I've grown I can... out during the quarantine. <laughs> I look like Robert Pattinson in Good Times. Nah, it's... bro, you look like Tangela. I look like Tangela. <laughs> All right, straight from Sofa King, I look like a Pokemon, and um, I would say like a uh, I can... I don't know what the other half is, but the first half is Tangela. <laughs> I'm okay with it. So here I am. There are many halves. You know, I'm not usually wearing a hat. I'm only wearing a hat today because I didn't shower. Um, because I had a day off. Fucking judge me. So I'm here with Sofa King. He comes over to so my place. I throw, a, I throw a beanie on. You know, I, I change my clothes. I put on some deodorant. Thanks, That's, dude. I'm, I'm considerate. I put it on this morning, and I'm not sure how it's holding up. So I'd say you're, I'd say you're good. Okay, thanks, dude. And, um... You know, I, so here's the story. I'm getting high with Where Am I? Good, good buddy, Where Am I? And if you know anything about us when we're stoned, we're like too stoned. If you've listened to any of our episodes together, you know that we're just too high. And it is definitely impairing motor function skills. I could see it. And at some point I go to light the bowl uh, near near my face, and I just start to hear a fizzing and a popping noise. And I first, my first second reaction is looking at the lighter and going, "But it's turned off. Why is it making this noise?" And then second number two is noticing the the cinders forming in my hair oh my swirls God. in my center vision, and I go, "Oh, my hair's on fire." And then second three, I put it out. So, three-second reaction. I'm so, actually proud of myself. <laughs> I'm proud of myself because a three-second stoned so, reaction okay. is like a ten-second right. real reaction. So, you you had the... Okay, this isn't the lighter. This is my hair. And then I immediately... And then, you, and yeah, then okay. Immediately, Did you immediately? Oh, it was immediate. Okay. I looked up, and when I saw orange, the second thought was, start putting that out, because that's, that's yeah. fire. Yeah. And, um... I turn over to where am I, who has not looked at me this entire time, and I go... I can see that as well. I go, dude! And he goes, what? <laughs> and I go, 
my hair was just on fire. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah. (laughs) And I go, I go, what the fuck, man? (laughs) You're supposed to like watch my back. You're supposed to help a brother out. Dude. Yeah. And he was like, no, I was, I was distracted. And I'm like, by what? I'm like, fuck, man. I just lost like an inch of hair off of the center of my head. (laughs) Oh, dude, I lost way more and than like, that. like, burnt hair smells real bad, man. Yeah. Dude, I, I gotta be honest, I'm, like, pretty jealous of your hair situation. Yeah, uh, because I, I, I don't... I used to have more, and <laughs> at this point in my life, I... I'm going to get my hair cut by my wife tomorrow. <laughs> but just the sides, you can see it. It's <laughs> gross, dude. It's, like... No, man. Gross isn't the word I'd use. What would you use? Ugly. <laughs> oh, my God. Why are you so critical of yourself? I don't know. You have more hair than my fucking brother, dude. Give him a look the next time he shows up. I'll give him a look. <laughs> give him two. I'll give I'll, I'll give him three. Hell, yeah. I'll give him three no, you're, fucking you're, looks. You need... I think it's easy for a person to understand that they're better off than others when they see the worst comparison. <laughs> And my brother Fair has enough. my brother literally has no hair. Um, I'd honestly, I honestly might prefer that because the sides grow like crazy. I was gonna say you you have the ability to have like really nice facial hair, and I've yeah. always known that about you. Yeah. Honestly, the shaved head and beard look is it. Oh that's, yeah, I'm about good. it. I'm about it. I so just com- need a little more commit. Uh, off. Commit to that. I'm committed. Um, I don't so, know why we just started talking about. It's, it's because. Oh yeah. It's because tangula. my fucking tangle of hair, and dude, I, I literally like. What's that like? You might not be. You might not be able to see it. But there's there's a fire. I see it. Started right here. I see it. I see it right in the middle there. Cause you lose the blonde. Uh huh. The blonde yeah. is missing in one of these sections. Yeah. So. That's where it gets trumpy. It's it gets it, trumpy. It, it, it's missing a little bit in there. And it's very uh, blonde. Well, well, I I bleached when I had short hair. I had uh, shaved on the sides, long yeah. bangs, and I I bleached my bangs and left the sides dark. So that's why I have blonde in my in my top parts. But do you have blonde in your now? Bottom it's parts? noticeable because. You look at it and you're just like, oh fuck, there's a, there's a chunk missing right there. Yeah. And so that's that's now where my coif comes in. Your coif. When I when I have to choose what side to part my hair, it now is an automatic left because the brown blends in with the brown, and the blonde, you know, just goes where it goes. All so, right, come to lots of pasta for your hair tips. Listen, come to lots of pasta when you accidentally burn your hair when you're smoking too much weed with your stupid ass friends. Mm. I'll drink Jin, to that. Jin, Jin. <laughs> and I'm here with uh, with Sofa King. Oh! And we're we're about to take in uh, a smattering, if you will, um, a taste. And we hope that you do. Of yeah, you, n- always, always. And we're we're gonna. I'm taking him back. He he didn't. You didn't show up until post episode 100. So this is how the show used to work. The show used to work where I'd just pick random stories and we'd read fucking six of them in an episode. I wasn't and even I'd, listening and before I'd say, 100. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd say, I'd say, hey, which one of those did you like the most? 
And then that almost says something about you. Oh, well, I like the monstery story. That means, okay, so you're much more of a creepypasta type of fan. Oh, well, I like the really gross-out terror stuff, the body horror and shit. Sure. Oh, then you're probably an Unsettling Stories fan. But if you're, like, the type of person who likes a good, like, thriller or something a little bit more psychedelic, you might like a no-sleep more. You know, they, they all tend to have different flavors. It's, it's the Neapolitan ice cream... It's the charcuterie. Of the horror fiction world. Right. It's yeah. the charcuterie. It's the charcuterie. We're getting a little piece of cheese, get a little piece of a caramelized onion, and then we get some some nice uh, bolognese. And then in between, we hope that we're the sorbet. Oh, my God. Cleanse I'll, your palate. I'll clean your tongue. <laughs> like uh, this liquid. I am recording on my phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you're not family. No. No, I'm not. Nice. Not when you're here. So, not when, not when you're Not when here. I'm here. So, um, so Sofa King, do you, do you feel like you're ready to, to jump into this shit? I'm ready. Okay. I'm feeling good. We are going to start with, uh, Creepypasta. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I don't give a shit. I'll go. (laughs) We are going to start with Sofa King. I'm going to put him on the spot. We're going to read a Creepypasta called The Cat. How do you feel about cats, Sofa King? I have a cat. You have a cat? I have a cat. Do you love it? I actually do. I I wasn't sure if I would or not. So we named it Gus. Gus. Because I wasn't sure if I'd like it or not. (laughs) So you named it Gus? But it it wound up suiting him very well, too, because he's... The name's become... You know, he's such a dick. Oh, that's just But Gus. he is just the nicest cat. Okay. He's so nice. Okay. And it's and I know people say this like about their cats. Right. If you've met my cat, mm-hmm. you would know that this fucking cat is just so sweet. Like he'll come <laughs> up to you. He'll come up to you. He I'm working at my desk and he'll just like jump up on my lap. And just like stay there for a long time and like look up at me like why the fuck aren't you petting me (laughs) come on oh yeah Yeah, buddy oh yeah that's what I'm talking about yeah and like we have a bunch of people over he'll like go up and he'll be like hey he'll be cool he'll like yeah he'll like rub up against them and be like hey come over here pet me yeah yeah he's pretty cool I have a dog that's barking right now I'm going to see if I can get her to stop that. <laughs> cool. Before we start reading that. All right. This dog is cute. This she's, dog is cute. She is very Are you cute. kidding me? She's very funny. Wow. Do you see how she's like, pet my belly? Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. see that? Oh, she's got like the little pop. She says, pet my yeah. belly. And she doesn't even know you, but she's using you as a sofa. <laughs> she knows. She knows. <laughs> she knows. She understands these things. All right, so we are reading The Cat from Creepypasta. Take it away, Sofa King. It was very cold last February. Absurdly cold. I was a paper delivery boy in Ohio, doing some part-time work to pay my house rent as a college student. Last February, a storm dumped five inches of snow over the town. Everything in sight was white and covered in cum. <laughs> oh, and frosty, frosty. I was going to say, like Sorry. my ex-girlfriend. Do you have a girlfriend? No. Not no, me I'm, either. I'm alone. Not me either. I graduated. 
I'm married. Did you know that? Holy shit, you're married? Yeah, I'm married. Fuck, dude. Yeah, dude, I'm married. That's crazy. Yeah, you hear that? That's crazy, dude. On my way to the post office, I saw a small black and white cat tied to a lamppost with an elongated choker. Its large eyes started around frantically, like it was waiting to be rescued by its owner. I cycled away. Is he on a bike? Minding my... This is a paper delivery boy. (laughs) I wasn't paying attention to the story. (laughs) I cycled away. I just thought that was like a term for walking away. He walked away with his legs in like a high In like a... Maybe it was in like a swimming pool kind of situation. Totally. Uh, I... (laughs) Yikes. I cycled away, minding my own business. Surely its owner would have been in the new newsagent shop nearby, stopping for a can of beer or something. They should have come back for the cat soon, I thought. Anyway, who the hell even walks their cat? It must have been <laughs> some kid. I have, I have several friends who walk their cats. I think it's very funny. It's funny. I, I don't know anyone personally who doesn't. <laughs> I literally know several, and they've been on the show. <laughs> I'm not going to call them out, though. Wherever you are. I love you. After doing my paper round, it was time for college. Whoops. It had been three hours since I'd started the round for that day. Thus, I expected the cat I saw in the morning to be gone by then. However, as I approached the lamppost, I could see from a distance that it was still there. I couldn't help but feeling worried about the situation. It was bitterly cold, and the temperature was dipping into the negatives. The cat was pacing around the lamppost, hurriedly, almost desperately. I would have taken it on the first go. I would have been like, who leaves a cat tied up somewhere? Yeah. It's just a bad call. Yeah. Second go, like, I'm still taking the fucking cat. Two days later. So no. They didn't, you didn't take bring the it cat. to the ASPCA. You or piece like, of shit. Is that what it's called? Yeah, ASPCA. Okay. Is it the ASPCA? It might is there be. Is there an A? I don't know. American. If you're listening, ASPCA, well done. Figure yourself out. Get your cats over there. (laughs) Two days later, it was still there. Nobody had come back for it. That's so fucked up. Perhaps it had been abandoned. Concerned about its welfare, I decided to take it into my house and rehome it comfortably. It wasn't ideal, as I had never had any sort of experience with pets before but at least it would stop suffering unnecessarily in the cold. It didn't go inside this whole time. It would be provided with food and a place to sleep. I cut the string that tied it, then took it in, and pasted posters on lampposts and fences around town, reading, Lost Cat Found, with additional contact details that are not listed here. (laughs) The cat did not like to eat very much, It had a huge, painful-looking scar on its belly where the skin had been sewn together, perhaps from an operation. When it did eat, however, it swallowed its food whole in large chunks. This prompted me to cut the food up into smaller bits to prevent it from choking. Reasonable. During the day, it would pace around my house and jump on the furniture, meowing and purring. But during the night, it would always come into my room and sit in front of my bed. (laughs) seemed to be a well-learned habit. If I didn't let it into the bedroom, it would continually scratch on the door until I gave in. 
and opened it. It's just like watching you while you sleep. Yeah. On the first night, it stayed in my room. I was woken up by the sound of light clicking. I'm gonna do sound effects today again. <laughs> sound like the jets were in my room. I was about to do Pink Panther. <laughs> Cats watching you while you're sleeping. When you're a jet. Okay. I wasn't sure whether it was actually clicking or tapping or ticking, but it sounded like something mechanical. I figured the source of the ticking was probably my keys hanging from my trouser pocket, tapping the edge of the bed. I sat up a little, and the noise stopped. I want to stop there. <laughs> because do you own any pants, garments, that you would consider trousers? Trousers. Maybe a khaki? No, I'd call no. them khakis. I would call them khakis as yeah, well. Yeah, trousers is a very outdated term for, for a pair of pants. For, it, it, Must be an older gent. Maybe they're plaid? Or, uh, what's that material? You know what I'm talking about. The Corduroy. Corduroy. I'm thinking corduroy pants. Alright, continuing. I nearly had a heart attack when I saw two green shining eyes staring right at me in the darkness. They were wide open and glowed like phosphorus. A heartbeat later, I calmed down a little after I realized it was just the cat, but it still felt extremely uncomfortable being pinned down by those eyes in the dead of the night. Say what you will. I laid down and tried my best to dismiss it, constantly eyeing the silhouette perching on the foot of my bed. Even though I felt like a cowardly five-year-old, I didn't want to close my eyes, knowing that another pair of eyes was watching me as I slept. Half a minute later, the eyes relaxed a little, and I saw the cat blink and move. It started to stroll naturally around the room again, so I brushed it off and went back to sleep. But every night or so after that, I would wake up to that same fading clicking noise. <laughs> <laughs> this cat's got style. Yeah. Every time I woke up, I would find the cat staring straight at me. But then it would break eye contact and walk away once it realized I was conscious. I found the behavior slightly strange, but I reckoned it was just shy and wanted to observe some human behavior rather than falling snow for a change. Besides, cats are nocturnal nocturnal animals. Am I right? Except for the dodgy eating habits and midnight staring, which were only minor concerns, my new friend caused me no other trouble. My house came with a cat flap on the front door, and the landlord had a cat. I could let this cat in and out of the house freely. It didn't attack the neighborhood pets or vandalize property. It didn't bite people or bring me dead birds and rats. It didn't even leave piss or shit around the house. My cat was a good cat. That wasn't me adding that there. That was no. that was just there. It had been a month, but nobody had called to claim the cat. I decided to legit legitimately make it mine and give it a new name. Scotty! <laughs> Beautiful. Scotty! I wasn't sure whether Scotty was a male or a female, but it didn't matter much to me. 
the act of naming him <laughs> or her itself counted as a bonding ritual, a gateway to a beautiful friendship between two different species forged by mutual care. From then on, Scotty was my source of comfort. When my exams weren't going well, when I was having a bad day, or when I'd had an argument, I would always tell Scotty, even though he was just a cat, and probably <laughs> didn't understand the bullshit I was going through, or even my language, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I could always count on him to cheer me up. Things were getting weird around the time Scotty had been taken in. I kept questioning everything I did, like my hair. <laughs> and whether I should cut it what I should do or if I lit it on fire well you know honestly that might solve some of my problems <laughs> I kept questioning everything I did because at first I reckoned the strange occurrences were due to my own carelessness some days when I arrived at home the door would be unlocked it seemed odd because I always locked the door when I went out and rarely forgot to do so I suspected a burglary but I second-guessed myself often. Perhaps the burglar had often... It's just a funny word, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Burglar. Perhaps the burglar had gotten hold of my spare keys. I checked in the garage, but they were still where I put them. Furthermore, nothing had been stolen. I once left two $50 notes blatantly visible on my desk, but they hadn't been taken. That's why I was hesitant to call the police. Okay, so... <laughs> This guy <laughs> has trousers and two $50 notes. Uh, this is a very fancy probably gentleman. British. What? Probably British. I'm thinking so. <laughs> Scotty! <laughs> oh, I named him Scotty. Scotty. Oh, maybe, maybe they're Scottish. Oi, Scotty. Hey, Scotty. You're a wee little cat, aren't you? Hey, you're beautiful, your green eyes. You're fucking bastard. You remind me of my third. <laughs> Daughter, wife, I whatever. I was going to say shite. <laughs> my third, third shite. shite. Scotty. Oh, this is good podcasting right here. <laughs> this is the kind Primo. of airtime you want. Primo material. Premium. That's true. The scariest fucking thing greeted me when I got up in the morning one day. A note was left beside my pillow, written in messy, screwy handwriting I did not recognize. It read, Did you sleep well, Brian? I was watching you! I approved of that voice. It sounded just like that. The handwriting. The handwriting. Yes. Is he still on a bicycle? <laughs> He is actually part bicycle. His lower half is just wheels. <laughs> now, how many wheels? Are, are we talking he's bi like... He's bipedal. Okay, bipedal. Okay. Uh, because I'm thinking, like, is it like a wheelies situation that kicks mm. out of his feet? Uh, his does feet. he have, like, a four-wheel situation? Right. Quads. Yeah, quads. Is that what those are? Roller skates. <laughs> I don't exercise much. I don't know what those... I, I was here quads and... Maybe I should go to the gym. You grow, you grow wheels. It's pretty cool. Can, can we scroll up? Just <laughs> I forgot where we are. Did you sleep well, Oh, did you well, sleep Brian? well, Brian? I was watching you. I suddenly panicked and wondered who it was. How did they know my name? 
All the windows had been locked tightly. Glad you clarified before I'd gone to sleep. And I'd locked the doors, too. I checked everything twice. There couldn't have been an intruder. Then I remembered. There was only one other living thing in the house besides me. But surely Scotty couldn't have written it. It must have been my crazy imagination. Obviously, I knew cats didn't know English and couldn't write my name. And couldn't write. Was I dreaming? Was I going insane? Shit, you must be joking, I murmured to myself. But if it wasn't Scotty, then who was it? Was I hallucinating? Did I accidentally take shrooms? <laughs> no, I There was no evidence. <laughs> there was no evidence of me taking shrooms or breaking. Right. If I showed the police, they'd think that I was just an attention-seeking note forger who had nothing better to do than prank them. Right, because that makes sense. But I was sure I had not written that note. There was no way out of this. You know you can break into a house, <laughs> put a note there, and then leave it the way it was, right. and then... I have a very funny story about that. <laughs> when I was living around a university in a city close by, with my now wife... I'm married, by oh, the way. Oh, you're married? Yes. Shit, dude. Congrats. I had a neighbor who knocked on my door. It was kind of a scary neighborhood. and uh, Scary neighbor? He was kind of scary looking. He was a little bit older, but he was a little bit... You could tell he's been through it. Yeah. And he asked to use my outside power in my house. He knocked on the door. And I'm scared already because I don't talk to anybody in this neighborhood. Because, right. again, it is... Bad neighborhood. I was in a situation where I had kind of been kicked out of my home and living in a, not a great area. Yeah. I get a knock on the door and I see this gentleman and he says, hey, can I use your outside power? I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, do it. That's fine. He's like, yeah, I'm going to trim some of these bushes back here. I'm like, yeah, great. Do it. <laughs> it's like, alright, sweet. Yeah. What kind of liquor you like? Like, I don't care. Scotch, gin, whiskey, whatever. It's like, yeah, what's your name? Like, my name. Sofakin. <laughs> right. Oh-ho! Oh-ho! He I actually said it back to me. I yeah. said, I'm the Sofa King, and he I said, ho-ho! Oh. Yeah, well, I'm meat. Meat? I'm like, meat? <laughs> and he said, yeah, like Demetrius, meat. Like, all right, meat. Yeah, go for it. And I don't hear from him the next day. And then um, I get home from work. I was working at a restaurant at the time. I got home late. And I see on my counter, when I get back home, a giant bottle of Seagram's gin, which is cheap and huge. Yeah. And in really bad handwriting, it just said, thanks. None of my housemates had been home. He broke in <gasps> to my home and left me a bottle of gin. Didn't take anything. And just said I asked thanks. everybody and just said thanks. Oh, wow. And 
that's I'm horrified. <laughs> that's certainly I'm amazing. horrified, but I drank the gin that night. <laughs> it had been unopened. You're welcome. You could tell. <laughs> it wasn't open. And I walk outside for work the next day, and he's there on his stoop. He's like, yo, Mike! What's up, me? How you doing, man? It's like, I, I, he's like, you get my present? Like, it's a joke. I'm like, yeah, man, I got it. It's like, well, yeah, if shit goes down, I got you. I'm like, all right. Nice. Cool. Good shit, me. So, <laughs> I think my point here is that Somebody, Somebody can, can break into your house, your house leave everything anything. untouched, lock yeah. the door behind him, yeah, and leave a note. That's fun. That's a fun little anecdote. Yeah. Uh, scary. Absolutely. But, but uh, <laughs> pretty fun. Absolutely. Anyway, um, hours of sweat. I'm gonna continue this story. Uh, this isn't my story. Right. Uh, hours of sweat dripping fear later, and after checking all the windows and doors had been locked multiple times, I told myself I would play along with it, to give myself some comfort at least. If it was a dream, I would wake up and curse myself for being so stupid and gullible. But for now, I would believe it, because it was the only explanation. I spoke to Scotty in English, feeling stupid. Naturally, as opposed cats, to cats speak Spanish. We know from the story now that he generally speaks English. <laughs> this isn't in a different yeah, country. you're right, you're yeah. right, you're right. Don't scare me like that, Scotty, okay? You know I'm faint of heart. Beautiful. Yeah, it was just all right. <laughs> he just meowed back. Meow. He... <laughs> that was great. He wasn't going to communicate with me verbally. He's a cat, after all. So I figured it would be easier if I wrote a message back on paper. It would allow for some distance. Who are you? How do you know me? I wrote. I left it beside my bed. The next day, my note was replaced with another phantom message. My name is Scotty. Of course I know you. I watch you all day and night. I shook my head and opened my mouth in disbelief as I finished reading the note. It's really just a small man. <laughs> he looks a lot like a cat. He's just a really small guy. Maybe he is a cat. <laughs> Maybe he is a cat. That's the twist. I've never seen a cat before. <laughs> never seen a cat out in a house, but... <laughs> I've never seen another one. Then I... <laughs> cat on a bike. <laughs> That's adorable. Uh, yeah. On his mailroom. <laughs> Throw it. Throw papers. <laughs> oh man. Alright. Then I. <laughs> Wait, okay. So I shook my head and opened my mouth in disbelief as I finished reading the note. Then I patted myself on the back for outsmarting natural human narrow mindedness. The supernatural was real, there was no doubt. Of course, as you can imagine, I was terrified for a few moments, a few heartbeats, as he would say. I wondered if I ever would come to terms with the fact that my cat was sending me messages written on pieces of paper in English. Then I wondered if it was such a bad thing after all. Perhaps I could use this to my advantage and talk to the entire fucking animal kingdom or discover some crucial biological breakthrough. Could all, un could all animals understand human language like Scotty? If they could, then no. I was thinking too far ahead. 
Right now, all I needed to know was that everything I had ever told to Scotty, all of my hopes and fears and desires, they had been understood and taken into account. Another being had shared my pain. Scotty understood me. Which which makes it the funniest, I think the funniest line of all, because <laughs> cats are so impartial to human existence. Yeah. They do not need them to survive. In fact, they will fucking leave the minute you stop appreciating them. Yeah. It's really fucking funny. And second of all... Cats are so impartial. The dude is <laughs> sitting there... Right. He's with having this cat. And like, you know me. And, and really letting it go on this cat. Okay, I know that there are people out there. I need to remember that this is... Whose podcast is this? I, I, right. Is this America's podcast? Is this... Oh, I mean, there, we have listeners worldwide. This is a podcast for all of you around the world. Yeah. And if you talk to cats... I, I talk, hear I talk from to you. cats. I talk to my cat. No, don't get me wrong. Yes. I talk to my cat. Yes. And you talk to your cat. Yes. And I'm sure if you have a cat out there, you talk to it as well. But if you really let your personal stories out on the cat, if you're like... You're really telling him how... Like, you're really like telling him. Like, if you're going through your whole day... the secretary doesn't listen to you. Yeah. I get moments if you're maybe you're having a bad day like it's like oh man I wish I wish that I didn't have to cook this meal right now I'm I'm hungry but I don't want to cook right. or like man I wish all this animals day were have that sixth sense to come up and, and, and give, give care and affection right cats will do that for a moment <laughs> and then just right. kind of turn away but if you're out there and you we'll talk to your cat, cat about about uh, like a therapist yeah i want you to reach out to me the sofa king <laughs> the sofa king my sofa is uh your psychiatrist chair right and i want you to sit down i want you to talk to me Why about talk your to problems a cat when you talk to a couch a sofa a sofa right a sofa my king the, yeah. the the lord there of is all a difference. Yeah. uh sofas uh talk to me i want to hear from you i don't have a link uh, I'll, I'll make a uh, Gmail. L LP Captain Death at gmail.com. Send us send us your concerns. And uh, we'll we'll make a, a a separate Gmail for the sofa. I'll I'll make a separate Gmail for the sofa king. Okay. You can send personal requests, <laughs> but for now, send them to what is it? LP Captain Death at gmail.com. Please, because I want to hear. I want I, I want to talk you through your pain. But Scotty understood me. <laughs> And suddenly, I no longer felt so isolated. Maybe people would think I was crazy, writing messages to my cats. But as long as I knew it was real, there was nothing to worry about. There was a being in this world that I could talk to. I tapped my assignment into my computer as I waited for Scotty to come down from my room. Thinking about this prospect, I drank my coke and spun around on my wheelie chair, simultaneously push pushing the table. I really did have a friend after all, I thought, smiling to myself. Again, Capitan at gmail.com. Right. Yeah. If you're really lonely. Yes, you have a friend. Uh, it's so, not me, it's suffocating. It's me, yeah. Uh, he's not going to respond to you. No, I'm not going to listen to any, any do, you, do you respond to the listener email? <laughs> 
I wanna, I wanna, I'm sorry. So I, I wanna play it off like I don't talk to fucking anyone. I'm gonna be like, no, fuck that. I don't fucking talk to anyone. I literally talk to all of them. Mm. Anyone who messages me about the show, anyone who has any critique, any any positive criticisms, anything to say, just that they enjoyed the episode this week, I literally respond every time. That's awesome. But uh... that's how I know we have listeners. In, in other countries because one of our listeners is a very vocal listener from New Zealand. You mentioned this last time I was on. It's uh, great to have you on. Yeah, great great to have anyone on board this uh, this murder train. This cat murder train. Do you think our main character is going to die here? <laughs> it is a creepypasta. It's worth, it's worth a wager. What's the wager? It's, uh... <laughs> uh, no. That's too hard. A sofa. A sofa. Buy a sofa. <laughs> Give you a sofa. All right. Suddenly, I heard a cracking sound, followed by a loud clank and the sound of something popping. Some hard object obstructed the back of the wheel of my chair. I felt it bulging beneath me. Immediately looking down to see what the obstruction was, I cried out <laughs> in devastation and horror. It was Scotty. The wheel of my chair had rolled onto his neck and severed his head! <laughs> what?! <laughs> it lay detached from his body on the floor! His arms twitched and his body convulsed! My instant reaction was fear and guilt. He had been so silent, but despite that, how on earth did I not see him there? I thought he was still up in my room. Then... Scotty twitched for the final time and finally lay as still as a rock. Then it dawned on me. I had just killed my best friend with one careless backward roll. It was all my fault. I began to cry and call out his name, the shame overwhelming me. Scotty! <laughs> but about ten seconds later, I stopped in confusion. There was no blood. I bent down to observe the body. My eyebrows curved as I saw something black and silver inside his body. <laughs> something that definitely shouldn't have been inside a cat's body. The silver things rotated and seemed to have teeth. Were they gears? No. What the hell were uh, mechanical gears doing inside of a cat? I picked up the body gingerly, and suddenly, I saw a network of metal inside his body. I looked down his neck. His neck bone was a single metal, screw-like rod. His ribs were metal. He seemed to have no internal organs whatsoever. But there was a pinkish, fleshy tint surrounding the metal. I shuddered and then similarly picked up his head. There were twisting red and yellow spirally things coming out of the bottom of his head. Wires? Jesus Christ! I couldn't see his brain, but I could see the inside of his skull, which was made of metal. I could also see in between the metal, and I saw real pinkish flesh. I must have been drugged. What the hell was going on? Then, oh god, I tried something absurd. I placed his head on top of the metal screw protruding from the stump 
that used to be his neck. And to my horror, I felt something lock and click into place. I twisted his head, and it gradually lowered as if I was tightening a screw. Soon, Scotty looked as if he hadn't just been killed. And one of his green eyes rotated to look at me. I shrieked in shock and dropped him. I didn't care if it was real or not, a hallucination or a nightmare. Perhaps the whole thing was just one big delusional dream, and in real life, I was actually some insane crack addict. <laughs> I remember that day. I honestly wished that I was. I just wanted to get away from the monstrosity I had seen and bolted outside, locking the door. I called the emergency services. <laughs> and just managing to wheeze out a few words as my heart raced. Like I was dying from a heart attack. <laughs> Hello? Yes? Uh, uh, I think my cat's an android. <laughs> to my irritation, they sent an ambulance. <laughs> right. It was a blatant slap in the face saying, huh, there's, there's something, something wrong, wrong with this guy. guy. Is that again? There's something wrong with this guy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, I shouldn't have been shocked or offended as I was then. My claim didn't seem very valid, now that I think about it. But I really did hope that it was just me being a crazy bastard. Or a crack addict. Scotty looked and, and felt so real. He did everything a normal cat would do. How on earth could this happen? Okay, he might have had some behavioral problems, which have not been brought up to this point. But <laughs> I begged them to go inside the house and see for themselves. I pointed at Scotty. Standing beside the wheelie chair. One of the guys picked up Scotty. Scotty didn't move. And I could tell suspicions were growing. Unable to stand it any longer, I grabbed the cat's body and unscrewed its head. The paramedics suddenly turned white. When they eventually discovered I was telling the truth, the police were rightfully called to my place. I told them everything, about how I'd taken Scotty in, about the notes beside my pillow. They exchanged shifty glances amongst one another. Finally, they insisted that I had created this monstrosity to waste their time, and arrested me. <laughs> well, what did I expect? For sane humans to believe me? Because the cat seemed oddly realistic. They carried out an investigation for the sake of animal rights, searching my house and rummaging through my stuff. I doubt they expected to find anything. I slept in the police station for three days. I talked to some of the officers and the other people walking around the place. Most offenders had been arrested on charges of drug abuse or drink driving. When they asked me why I had been detained, I always replied, Long story. Even in the company of the busy holiday makers and staff, I felt like I was being watched. I would often wake up several times in the night in a cold sweat, expecting to see those two green eyes again. Yesterday, I was escorted to my property again, as the officers in, as the officers in charge of my case wanted to speak to me. They had called my landlord to the scene, too. We asked them what they found. So they took me out of jail. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they told us that the house had been broken into. 
I was right. In the middle of a full-scale search of the house, they suddenly heard something smashing in the garage. Someone had escaped out of the garage window, where they smelt the police presence. The perpetrator left behind a bloodied knife, perhaps a murder weapon, and something else. One of the officers showed it to us. It was a little like an apple tablet, but had two small rods of antennae. It was stored in one of those transparent crime scene evidence packets, but it had a touch screen where it could still be used through, through the material. There were buttons on the screen. The cop pointed at another packeted bit of evidence. Scotty. He was as stiff as a doornail and did not move inside the packet. The cop pressed a green button and to my surprise, Scotty meowed. He pressed another button and Scotty lifted his leg. But most disturbing of all was the screen display between the buttons. The cop went over and lifted up Scotty's body so that his eyes were looking directly at me through the layer of plastic. My face and everything behind me appeared on the screen on the tablet. There were many files saved on the menu of the tablet. All were named sleeping.1 or sleeping.2 or sleeping. Some other number. They contained stored night vision footage of me sleeping. The incision in Scotty's belly had been made to insert a complicated system of robotic mechanical features into the body of an already dead cat, which could be controlled using the device. The new robot cat was made as realistic as possible and could move with the fluidity and agility of a living cat if the user was skilled. The eyes acted as windows for the cat and the user. Each button would, was a control command. There was also more complex code inside each command which the user could edit accordingly. I started to sweat. I realized that someone or something had understood my ranting, had understood my fears, hopes, and dreams. But it wasn't Scotty. And that something or someone hiding in my garage had been watching me sleep. Again, it wasn't Scotty. Waves of dread came upon me. The cop handed me one final specimen in a plastic bag. It was a note in that same messy handwriting I assumed was Scotty's left beside my pillow. It was found after the police took Scotty away. Ha <laughs> ha! Joke's on you. Scotty hadn't written that. <laughs> Scotty had not written that. I think the story was written by <laughs> somebody who has a lot of issues in their own life mm-hmm. um, not, kind of like a Karen kind of like a Karen character <laughs> I got because the way they said well they called an ambulance instead of the police Eventually, I explained my side of the story and was found to be correct where they promptly called the police. Just felt very, uh, kind of self-righteous a little bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just going to say that it's almost like the, um, the person who wrote it was just like, was completely riffing, was just like... And then the cat was a robot. And then there was someone in my garage. And then the cops believed me. Like, it just, 
it felt like someone was just playing a game of yes and, and they, yeah. just, they kept diving into their own pond. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I don't think that's... It wasn't the worst story. Like, you know, the... They built up the cat. We've we've definitely read worse. We definitely and have. I'm, and I'm glad that that was almost your first story in in our smattering because I think uh, I think we're only gonna go up from here. I think so because I I consider no sleeps and unsettlings like a step up. I think creepypastas being the first thing that existed are kind of juvenile a little bit in their in their plot um but i'm gonna read one now called a uh yeah pretty funny yeah um i'm gonna call this one a strange village which is from creepypasta mayuko's game boy suddenly turned off she rolled her eyes and let out a loud sigh the stupid thing ran out of batteries again mayuko shoved it inside her backpack and looked around Surprisingly enough, the wagon was completely empty aside from herself. Usually the train would be full of exhausted businessmen, annoying teenagers, and girls like Mayuko. Girls going home after a tiring day at school, some reading books, others chatting with their best friends. But this time there was no one else but Mayuko at the wagon. The train was silent and Mayuko... Mayuko... It's, it's a Japanese name that isn't easy to say, so Mayuko. Mayuko could hear her own breath. Something felt wrong. The air was eerily still. She looked out the window, trying to shake the strange feeling off. Her eyes widened as she realized it was already dark outside. How much time had passed? Mayuko was desperate. What would her mother think? Where was the train going? Are we getting a speed situation? I think there's a bomb on the train and only Mayuko could stop it. But the train has to be going a certain speed. Mayuko sat on the ground. (laughs) Tears filling and rolling down her face. She was just 13 years old. Nothing like that had ever happened to her. She shut her eyes, expecting someone to come and help her. And suddenly, the train stopped. Mayuko opened her eyes and looked around and found she was surrounded by darkness. She was frozen in place, shaking and crying, thinking about what was she supposed to do next. Slowly, she got up and looked out the window. The train stopped somewhere she'd never seen before. Trees surrounding everything she could see, except for a small path between two large rocks. Right behind the trees, Mayuko could see what appeared to be a small village. (laughs) Mayuko looked around and realized the train's doors had opened. She thought about it and decided that maybe someone in the village could help her get back home. Mayuko left the train and she suddenly stopped in front of her dirt path, inspected the two large rocks around it, and there was something written on them. Welcome to... But the village's name was covered in moss. And the second rock said, To utter the final word, I'll only say then without saying nothing more. Nothing more. Moss was also covering part of the text, and Mayoko frowned, confused. As did Captain Death, frowned, confused, and took a sip of whiskey. Mm. Was that an old poem or something? She didn't know. I didn't know. She didn't really care. I could care less. Without any more hesitation, she walked towards the village. At the end of the dirt path, there it was. The seemingly old village adorned with lanterns all around. I mean, fuck, are we at the village yet? (laughs) The first thing Mayuko noticed was that there was absolutely no one out in the streets. Was everyone inside their houses? Why? Mayuko didn't want to believe that the place was abandoned. She insisted on calling for help. Carefully... She walked over to the first house she saw as she got closer to the shoji, the sliding door. 
A strong smell reached her nose. It came from inside the house, and Mayuko ignored it and knocked on the side softly. Hello? Is anyone there? Asked Mayuko. She waited. Nothing. She knocked again. Could anyone please help me? I'm lost. Mayuko waited eagerly for an answer, but no one came. Assuming no one was home, she moved on to the next house. Once again, she knocked on the shoji and called out to the house's owner, and once again, no one came. No, no way, Mayuko muttered to herself as she was finally convinced that the village was abandoned. And just as she was about to let out all hope, Mayuko realized the shoji was open all along. Not fully open, just a small gap. Mayuko held her breath as she slid the shoji open. The same smell from before came back. It was pitch black inside the house. Mayuko had to adjust her eyes to the darkness. The floors and walls were soaked with black paint. Whatever it was, it was definitely the source of the smell. The grudge! Mayuko carefully touched it with her finger. It wasn't paint. It was thick. Sticky. It's the grudge speed hybrid we've all been waiting for. I was going to say, it's Majuro. Mayuko cleaned her finger on the trim of her skirt and went back outside. Somehow the sky seemed even darker than before. And just then she noticed something behind the trees, a tori, its Japanese gate. It was almost unnoticeable at first sight, but the red paint gave it away. Slowly, she walked closer to it. Behind it, there was an enormous staircase that seemed almost endless, but Mayuko's curiosity got the best of her, so she made her way up. As she expected, the stairs led to a shrine, but there was something different about it. It had an eerie atmosphere. Mayuko was suddenly filled with dread. There was something definitely wrong with it. As Mayuko got closer, the feeling of dread grew stronger. With every step, Mayuko's heart pounded faster and faster. She felt as if there was someone watching her. Scotty! Mayuko opened, oh my the God. <laughs> Mayuko opened the shrine's door. The same goddamn smell was now even worse. Mayuko suppressed the urge to puke. The walls and floor were completely covered with the black substance, not even one corner left out. And right in the middle of the room was a jar. A plain porcelain jar, about the size of Mayuko's right arm. For some reason... Mayuko felt out of herself, as if she had no control of her body. Her head was spinning. She could barely stand up, but she somehow managed to reach the jar and open the lid, and as if it was magic, she came to her senses. Ooh. She backed away and stared at the jar, eyes wide, and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. Until the jar started to shake and move around. As if it were alive. It's alive! alive. Mayuko couldn't believe what was happening. She wanted to run, but her legs refused to cooperate. She screamed when an arm came out of the jar. An unnaturally long arm, also covered with the black substance. Its hands had sharp claws, which scraped and scratched the ground like a knife. And then another arm appeared, followed by a head. Its face hidden behind a dirty porcelain doll mask. Damn. Mayuko then realized what she had done. The thing was a demon, and she had no doubts about that. Someone had sealed the creature inside the jar after it destroyed the village, but now it was free. 
How? No one's alive. In the blink of an eye, the demon was completely out of the jar. It was impossibly tall, and its limbs were twisted and contorted in inhuman ways. Mayuko stared at the creature, and the creature stared at her. Carefully, Mayuko tried to leave the shrine. She was almost outside, but the demon suddenly started to walk towards her. Mayuko screamed, turned around, and ran. Everything around her was a blur. She could hear the demon running right behind her, getting closer and closer. Kocho! While running down the staircase that led back to the village, Mayuko tripped and twisted her ankle. Fuck! She screamed in pain and ah! crying out. <laughs> she then... Sorry, everyone. ...felt something grab her arm. The demon had caught up to her, and its sharp claws were slowly dragging themselves across Mayuko's skin. No, I'm really sorry, everyone. You didn't need to hear that. But she wasn't giving up. Gathering all the courage she had left, Mayuko got up and kept on running, releasing herself from the demon's hands. The staircase felt endless, but eventually, Mayuko was back at the village. The demon, realizing his victim was about to escape, desperately tried to reach out for her. But Mayuko was faster. She ran through the dirt path and was surprised to see the train was still there, as if it was waiting for her to come back. Mayuko hopped on the train and looked out the window, and the demon was nowhere to be seen. She sighed with relief and cried for what seemed like hours, perhaps because of the throbbing pain in her right arm, or maybe out of disbelief for what had just happened. And she heard a loud thud. The demon was trying to enter the train. But the doors were way too small for him to pass through. Even though he wore a mask, Mayuko could almost see the anger in his expression, his body twitching with rage. Mayuko bravely got to her feet and approached the demon, and as soon as she got close, it made a futile attempt to grab her. Without thinking twice, Mayuko screamed and pushed the creature out of the train. Its body was so thin, so it didn't take long for the demon to fall to the ground. As the demon was about to make one more attempt at grabbing Mayuko, the train lights suddenly turned back on, and the doors were closed. As the locomotive began to move, Mayuko could still hear the creature banging desperately on the door, attempting to open it. Mayuko fell down to the ground, exhausted. It was over. Finally. Over. Her breath was unstable, her eyes still wide from the fear. She stayed there until the train's doors opened again, revealing a familiar station in front of her. She was home. With her backpack in her hands, she left the train and she walked through the streets. People looked at her and whispered to one another, wondering what had happened to her. It took a while for Mayuko to come up with an excuse for her injuries, and she just told her mother the classmate beat her up after school, and she believed it. There's no way Mayuko would tell her what really happened. She wouldn't believe it anyway. That night, Mayuko had trouble sleeping. A week later, Mayuko went to the doctor with her mother, and they took a train to get to the clinic, and immediately, Mayuko felt a chill down her spine. All the memories from the previous week came flooding back, but she ignored them. Mayuko looked out the window, admiring the landscapes the train passed by, and suddenly, she recognized her surroundings. She felt her heart drop. That was the place where the dirt path was supposed to be, but there was no path to be found. Only two broken-down rocks. That was it. That was awesome. That was that, that was way better. <laughs> That's what I mean by creepy pasta. Sometimes is you know it's it's a different slice for a different uh, 
a different person. Different people bring different different shit to the narrative, you know? I, I like that a lot. That, for me, was almost like a, um... It was like a fun, uh... Spirited away, had a baby with, like, I don't know, some fun little, like, ghost story. I, I think you can take that story in a lot of different ways. I think you could take it in a direction of, like, a metaphor for... I mean, maybe you're even... You can even think of it like you're taking a trip. You're 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 tripping. And, <laughs> yeah. And like you know, you get there, you're on a bad part, and you have to fight demons away. <laughs> I definitely or feel just yeah. you know in your life, if you're going down, you you go down a path, your train breaks down, you go down a path, and you run into some demons. You gotta you gotta fight them away, and that's that's life. Man. And then you that's that's fucking life. I think <laughs> that's it's fucking great. life. I think I think that was. That I was think cool. she she learned she learned something about herself that day, and I think it's that she doesn't need to be afraid to be alone, to ride the train by herself. You know, I think I think we all come to that that point in our life where we're like, you know what? I don't need a parent's help. Yeah. I can do this shit on my own. Yeah, and man. then she slayed her own dragons. She she, fought, did. she fought her own demons. Literally speaking. She she didn't need anybody else there. She just Mayuko. That one's for you. you yeah. You classy this one's broad. for you, Mayuko. Um. I'm also we're we're gonna switch targets here. We're moving over to Reddit No Sleep. Oh my god! Where this the one's stories for me. Uh, the stories are a little bit more um, I would say literal. They tend to be more uh, grounded, more psychologically speaking. Um, but we'll definitely see what the fuck uh, is going on with this one uh, because you wanted to read this one. This is the reason you picked this. I, I I think it's more the title than anything. It's called All the Swans Are Gone. All the swans are gone. All man. the swans are gone. All the swans are gone. Where I the fuck woke they up go? one day and just all of them are gone. Let's find out. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, I, I want to do one thing before yeah. we get started, just looking at this uh, first little part of this story. Yeah. I want you to name the location. There is something in brackets called location redacted. Yes. I want you to name a location. Right. Kind of Mad Lib style. Okay. Location redacted. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, what is it? Oh no, we'll get there. Excellent. I, I, I got it. All right, you're gonna read. You're gonna say the name every time. Every time. Dope. All right. All the swans are gone. Investigations are underway after the parts of several dismembered newspaper clip. Oh, that's part of the story. Sorry. This is a newspaper clip. All the swans are gone. From Reddit, no sleep. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> newspaper clip. Dated January 2011. So, so contextually, this is a while ago. Uh, unless you're uh, you're reading this in the past. Right. Right. Investigations are underway after the parts of several dismembered swans have been found along a canal in... Dick Fucktown! RSPCA officers and police said they had seen a rise in reports in last year of swans being killed, possibly for food. Five birds have been found dead along the banks of the Dick Fucktown Canal. Heads and feet have been found with the body missing, and there was a report of a swan in a bin bag on Dick Fucktown Common. Officers have been unable to find the people responsible. PC Peter Pansy, wildlife crime officer for Dick Fucktown Police, said we have had various reports of parts of swans being found on the riverbank and on the cycleway, and it is quite clear that something is not right. Swans are protected birds, 
and the Crown retains the right to ownership of all unmarked mute swans in open water. They are seen as delicacy in some parts of the world, but it is illegal to kill swans in this country, and anyone found doing so faces a fine of up to 5,000 euros or a six-month jail sentence. Deborah Dumont. Branch manager at RSPCA, Dick Fucktown, said officers had been unable to gather enough evidence to bring about prosecutions. She said, It is extremely unpleasant finding birds, and it is impossible to know how many have been killed. So, so far. But it is a real big concern for us. The longer these concerns continue, these people will keep getting away with it and the more damage they are causing to the swans in this area. The RSPCA and police have urged residents who notice suspicious activity along the canal to report it immediately. I used to go out for walks along the canal next to my flat, waving to the canal boats, hello, and watching the swans. I used to hear children laughing in the playground across the canal from my sitting room. I used to buy lunch for the vagrant that used to live under the bridge. I used to call him Hobo Baggins. <laughs> That's my new name in the next Beautiful. episode. He used to refuse to tell me his real name in case they found him and took him back to run some funky science on him and hatch aliens out of his belly. Yes, he used to be one of those, but friendly enough. It's quiet now. There haven't been swans here for two years. I'm sorry. There haven't been swans here for, uh, two years. <laughs> a lot of the canal boats had been abandoned, marked with a red council notice on the doors, and you rarely see anyone passing through. After the swans, the town started getting covered and missing pet posters. Oh, no. Dogs and cats, mostly. A horse once. That was a weird one. They never stayed up for long, not after the owners found the body parts, uh, dumped around the bins after the bags had been ripped open. I remember back then I'd find fox's tails out the back of my flat. The fox calls at... what? The fox calls. The fox calls. Oh, the fox calls at night. I didn't get that for some reason. The fox calls at night stopped soon after that. Cruel as it sounds, I was a little glad at the time. Those calls were creepy. I'd do anything to hear them again now, though. You, you know what a fox call sounds like? No, please. Ah! Is that real? Absolutely. They scream. Google it. <laughs> the police started investigating this in connection to the Was swans. <laughs> no, I'm a person. Can you do it again? <laughs> I'm, I shit you not literally listen to a fox scream. Google later. it. Yeah, Google it. Google it. The police started investigating this in connection to the swans. They couldn't conclude what attacked them. The bits of animals that were left were usually too small to discern any teeth or claw marks from, the paper said. People in town got scared to go out at night, convinced something had escaped the zoo. The police debated introducing a curfew. There were a lot of animal control guys around. Then, there weren't. Sitting at home one evening, about a year now, sipping my whiskey. My gentleman, Jack. Hmm for a gentleman for a king so for king <laughs> oh I got thinking about it there had always been roadkill around you'd often see a discarded squirrel carcass when walking through the park bird feathers scattered around hedgerows the remains of a duck uh, the authorities only noticed a predator when the swans were all gone before that was probably just people's cats right or the foxes I don't think so anymore I think. 
whatever it was, it needed bigger prey. Bigger prey. I called the police the day after to report Hobo Baggins missing when I didn't see him on my usual walk across oh, Long no. Canal. Hobo Baggins. Where'd he go, dude? He got eaten. Yikes. Maybe. They said they couldn't do anything. He could just have he could have just moved on to somewhere else. Who would blame him? I didn't even have a real name to report on anyway, just Hobo Baggins. Hobo Baggins. Months went on by, and the nights got quieter and quieter. There's no sounds of birds to wake you at dawn. There isn't even drunkards stumbling about after a night night out. Most of the pubs and restaurants have shut down. People just don't feel safe leaving home anymore. The police are still investigating, but I never see them out on the street anymore than anyone else. It's a pretty lonely town to walk around in the last few weeks. A lot of people have moved out of town. The only ones who stay can't afford to leave, like me. I would if I could, but I'm barely covering the bills as it is. You only see people out during the day, and they usually drive. By sundown, there's no one on the streets. All of the curtains are closed, and people keep their lights off. They put their bins as far away from the house as they can without blocking the paths of the road. By morning, the bags will be ripped to shreds. Anything edible in them will be gone. Anything inedible is chewed up and unidentifiable. The streets are full of crap people have thrown out into the streets. The streets are full of crap people have <laughs> thrown out people. into the streets. The council have stopped sending bin men. I've phoned them, but the only response I get is that the service is suspended due to department restructuring. Sorry for the inconvenience. Last week, I got two phone calls. Any other place, any other time, they would have been a godsend. Instead, they just add to the growing dread shadowing the town. The first was my boss. Don't bother coming in anymore. We're shutting the shop. I'll try and get your last payslip to you as soon as I can. He paused. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get you some redundancy pay too, but uh, no promises. Make up, uh, try to make up to three months pay used to get you out of town. Yeah, I never got any money. <laughs> the second call was from my landlord. He just left a voicemail. Hey, it's... Clancy Brown. I've canceled your direct debit. Don't give me money anymore. I feel bad taking him. Just get out of town. <laughs> we all know that's what we should do. Maybe if I'd ever gotten that money from my boss, I could have gotten away. Not that I had anywhere to go. In hindsight, maybe just walking out of here would have been better than staying. I took my last walk along the canal on Tuesday. As I approached the bridge, I noticed something in the water. A ribcage. Practically picked clean. It looked like it had been floating there for a while, too. I hoped it didn't belong to who I was thinking but I knew. Hobo Baggins. You just know sometimes. You just know from those ribs. I called the police. I already knew what I would hear. The officer on the end of the phone made an incident report, told me that I couldn't know who it belonged to. Not to jump to conclusions. An officer will investigate. I knew no one would. We both sounded exhausted, worn down, weighed down by the knowledge that nothing could be done. We went through the motions, trying to maintain a sense of normalcy. He wouldn't even tell me his real name. I was talking to my neighbor yesterday. He's in the same boat as me. No friends, 
No family. Just a cat. And nowhere to go. He tried to convince me to leave. Pretty girl like you could get themselves far away from here. Don't need no money when you look like that. I scoffed. There's no one left here to take me anywhere. It's getting closer to the houses, I said to him, as we stared out our first floor windows over the canal. I don't feel bad for this guy anymore. He's kind of creep. <laughs> yeah, you see... Yeah, you hear those sounds it makes? I ain't heard sounds like that from no fox or badger. He continued to stare out the window, slowly shaking his head. Nah, they don't sound like that. I looked out the window. The trees along the canal bank had scratches on them and broken branches, like something big had been climbing up there. Did you see the window on the ground floor? Yup! It had been ripped from the frame. The brickwork underneath had been gouged out, leaving a big gap in the wall. The inside of that flat had been trashed. Smashed furniture, blood, hair, chunks of meat and bone all, all over the front room. Who lived there again? His hands trembled as he spoke. That dad who looked after his little girl, remember? I walked to the school once he was ill. I said nothing in response. George, my neighbor said. I called him George. He kept his eyes fixed out the window. I was going to ask why, but why bother? What else? Last night was the worst night. The cries and howls were like nothing I'd ever heard. I had just left my window open, but the blind shut. It was just too warm to sleep. Just as I was drifting off, I heard heavy footfalls and a snorting sound. I froze with fear. I could feel my eyelids peeling back into my skull, and my whole chest felt cold with fear. My legs and arms retracted into the fetal position. I just waited with my back to the window. After several minutes, the whole room shook as a heavy thud hit the wall behind me. A growl reverberated through me as the scraping started. It rapidly became more pronounced, more vicious. The scraping, snarling, scratching. I went through the motions of reassuring myself. It's the wind, it's the trees, it's the rain. It's anything except what it sounds like. This is it, I thought. This is my night. I really thought I was going to get in. Eventually, I must have fallen asleep. When I woke the next morning, I hoped that maybe it was all a dream, a nightmare. I went out to check on my neighbor. His door was locked up and he wasn't answering. I went outside to see if I could see him through a window. Then I saw him outside my window. I saw where the scratches had come from big foot-long scars under my window, under my window on the first floor. Big prints in the flower bed. Not that they looked like anything I had seen before. I'm scared this time. Not just creeped out, not just worried, really scared this time. I called the police again. I didn't even get an officer this time. Just an automated message. Dick Fucktown. Police station is unable to process calls at this time. We advise residents to stay with family or friends away from... Dick Fucktown. If possible, while we investigate these events. If this is not possible, please remain indoors and barricade your home. Avoid unnecessary journeys. Under no circumstances, leave your home at night. 
Do not investigate any strange nor noises or events. Keep calm. We are investigating. Are you... F okay. You know, I'm glad I haven't seen it. I'm glad it's only been scratches and noises and footprints of the flower beds. What if I saw it and it couldn't be unseen? I'm used to living with fear now. It's 2020. I don't want to live with nightmares. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's getting bigger. How does something get that big without anyone seeing it? So here I am. I'm sure this is my last day here. And while I still have a means to communicate to the outside worlds, I'm telling you all this, all of what happened here, and how easy it was for me to stick my head in the sand and hope it wasn't all really happening, until I pulled my head up and realized I was trapped. So here it is, the last thing anyone will hear me say, a warning. If you hear of a quiet town, famous for all its beautiful canals and swans, don't go. All the swans are gone. I like that a lot. That was cool. That was fucking cool. I like I like no sleep because they tend to dive like nose first into how they're structured, how they're told. Like a lot of people buy into the whole like no sleep format where they're talking to like an audience. Yeah. You know, because it is a forum, people read them online, they comment, they follow along. I've even read stories where people, like the OPs, even, like, communicate with the audience, and, like, they're playing the part yeah. of the story of that the they're story. telling. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's very interesting stuff, and I think it brings a sense of real realism yeah, um, to the story. I mean, it was, it was great. That was a very fun read. A I lot more it. fun than I thought it would be, honestly. All I thought it was gonna, honestly. I thought it was going to be more funny, but no, I no. I would say with a title like that, that's misdirection. They're trying to mislead yeah. you. They're trying to they're trying to think that maybe playing off of um, something that might sound silly, yeah, um, catch you off guard. What is that? Why didn't I shower for twenty one years? <laughs> that's I don't know. It's another no sleep story. Yeah. All right, I'm going to read another one which caught caught my eye by the title um, because it, the title in itself is bereft of the actual package because here you are on No Sleep telling a story. Yeah. And the story is titled Some Things Are Better Left Unsaid. So it's like we are now going to hear a story of someone learning about something that they really wish they didn't learn. And Some Things audience, Are Better Left Unsaid. Yeah. And the audience will not want to hear it. <laughs> you shouldn't read this. But I'm going to. But we're going to. This one's from Reddit No Sleep. Some things are better left unsaid. Seven scutch. <laughs> it's page count and who I recommend reading it. <laughs> I am so, so sorry. You... <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to cut it, but it's funny that you just say it every time. <laughs> My memories of my childhood and adolescence have always been hazy at best. I always assumed that this was just the normal flow of life, that with time, old memories, when not dwelled upon, often began to take on a dreamlike quality, where you have a few brief glimpses into things, but never quite the entire picture. However, I have now reached the age where I, along with my friends, have started having children. As such, we often find ourselves comparing our childhood experiences to those of our children. This sharing of memories has always been 
uncomfortable for me, as I feel I am unable to match the vivid clarity of my peers when they share tales of their youth. Uh, I have to agree with the I narrator. I completely agree uh, with because that. Because it's all the weed I smoke. It's not that my for memory, me. My I just memory have is a bad gone. memory. <laughs> That's funny. It's these conversations with friends that have brought me to spend a lot of time just trying to remember things. Anything. About my younger days to share with the group. I'm starting to wish I had just let the dust settle on these lost memories because I think something else was buried along with them. But probably a grabby uncle. Maybe. My curiosity led me to the most logical place to look <laughs> for clues regarding my apparently abnormally fuzzy memories. My parents. I still remember that awkward conversation with my mother. I held the phone from my ear a bit as she always spoke loudly on the phone. Even with the phone held half an inch from my ear, I could hear that familiar voice of my mother. Oh, I am so sorry. I was reading the Coke can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look who finally decided to call his mom. I laughed. Uh knowing that she wasn't actually upset. I'm so sorry. This was a game she played every time I called. It hasn't been that long since I last called. How are you and Dad? She proceeded to share details of projects my father had taken up since his health problems forced him to retire. She discussed doctor's appointments and shared her frustration oh, Dr. over Dr. love him. she was having with her computer. This is when I saw my opportunity... Maybe I can come by tomorrow and take a look at it. While I'm there, I'd like to ask you about something. I had to hold the phone out further as the idea of a visit from me also meant a visit from her grandkids, and she quickly replied, Oh boy, that sounds great. I'll make fried chicken. I know it's your favorite. Yo, what was it you wanted to ask me about? I paused. I don't know how, but something in my gut knew my simple question would end her jubilation. Well, um, I was kind of hoping we could talk a bit about when I was a kid. I know it's silly, but I've had the hardest time remembering much about it, and I'd love to have stories to share with these kids. Silence. I heard nothing. At least that's how it felt with the phone still a half an inch from my ear. I pulled the phone closer, wondering if perhaps the call had dropped. Mom? And then I heard her. Her voice was no longer that loud, boisterous mother I knew. It was soft and distant. And if I didn't know any better, I'd say she sounded afraid. I I don't think tomorrow will work after all. I'll call you after I've spoken to your father and let you know when might be indeed a better time. Maybe I will take the computer to the Geek Squad or something. I gotta go. My stomach churned for the better part of the rest of the afternoon. It was a struggle to push the feeling of discomfort that came along with the abrupt end of the phone call with my mother. I was able to force it to the back of my mind as I spent the remainder of the day playing with my children. Hours passed, and with their passing, so did the sunlight. I tucked both kids into bed before trying to spend a bit of time just vegging out in the front of the television. I don't think I actually watched anything as my mind kept drifting back to the strange phone call. That sudden change in tone, that eerie silence in her voice. I'd never heard my mother that way before. And then I felt it. I felt the twinge of a memory. I had heard my mother sound like that once before. 
The memory started to take shape in my mind. It was later in my childhood. How old, I can't really recall. What I do remember is that it was very early in the morning. I was sitting at the dining room table across from my parents. They both had stark looks on their faces. I could clearly hear the words of my mother in my mind. You don't talk to us or anyone else about that ever again. Do you understand? It's not natural, and it just needs to be left alone. If you don't talk about it, it will stop. And like that, I snapped out of the daze of my memory. I can't explain why, but it felt like a wave of fear and anxiety flooded over me. Something... Something had begun to happen. The mechanisms in my mind had begun to click. Unlocking memories buried deeply inside. The sharp noise of the vibrating phone on the table caused me to jump. It was my mother. What was she doing calling at this hour? They were never up this late. I stared at the phone, ringing. And for some reason, I hesitated briefly before picking up. And nervously, I answered. Hello? There was a long period of silence before I heard the same quiet, distant voice coming from my mother. We will talk about this once, and it will never be spoken of again. I know you. You will ask questions and pry. This conversation will be the end of it, because we can't go through that again. I sat in confusion and oddly in fear. Why was speaking with my mother making me afraid? I started to raise a question, and when I was quickly cut off by her. She spoke quickly and directly. It felt like she had been practicing this exact speech all afternoon and that any interruption would make her lose her resolve. When you were a child, you had these dreams. You would come to us in the morning and tell us things. Things that you dreamt about and just horrible things. And then... I could hear her starting to sob, but she pressed on. And then they would happen. That tornado that took Sarah. The snakes in your Uncle Henry. Alan's murder. All of those people we saw in the news every time. Every damn time you would come and tell us about some horrible dream. And then within minutes, we would get a call or see something on television. Every time it was exactly like the dream you just told us about. This happened for years. I started to feel like you were to blame for every bad fucking thing that happened. And I finally made you stop talking about it. I couldn't take it anymore. I just told you to stop telling us. And I thought that if I didn't have to hear it, I could write off anything different that happened without having to blame you. After a while, you seemed different. You slept better. I think keeping you from talking about it made it go away. I started to speak, but then she cut me Don't off again. Don't start talking about it now. If you bring it up again, I'll deny we ever had this conversation. You understand? I have, I have to go. I love you. With that, the call ended. I'm not dealing with this. I'm going to bed. I pretended like that bizarre conversation had never happened as I went about my nightly bedtime routine. However, as I settled in under my blanket, I found myself unable to push out her words. I closed my eyes, focusing on trying to push it out of my mind, and then the floodgates holding back my memories opened. 
my mother. She didn't tell me everything. That's because she didn't know everything. I was finally able to remember. It was like reliving many years worth of childhood nighttimes. I could see it all again and again. I would awaken nearly every night at the same time, 3.33, the witching hour. I would always be on my side. I could see the clock clearly, but I couldn't move. I would feel overcome with fear and try to scream, but nothing would come. Then I'd hear footsteps. Sometimes they would be slow and deliberate. Other times they would sound like someone was sprinting, but they always led to the same place, my bed. <laughs> I could feel the shadow looming over me. It burped in my ear. Is that Coke? <laughs> that nice Coke Zero. Oh my God. It felt like an eternity. And as the clock ticked over to 3.34, the entity would just disappear. I would suddenly feel relief and calm. This was always immediately followed by an all-consuming sleepiness that would send me off into slumber. Then, over time, it got worse. I would start to feel the breathing on my neck, and finally, one night, it spoke to me. I could finally remember the words. They came in a voice that was neither clearly male or female. It merely said, I am coming. Oh! Then, <laughs> I just came. And then you are my prophet. <gasps> then, oh! the dreams, oh! the visions would begin. <laughs> they were always horrible. That's how I come. <laughs> oh, oh! This happened nightly. <sighs> Every night, I would try to scream out the same thing, but nothing would come. Please, no, don't. I sat up, pulling my knees to my chest. I felt a cold sweat covering me as I found myself struggling to catch my breath. The words of my mother started to seep in, and I began to recall that as I stopped sharing my visions, my visitor stopped coming. Maybe, maybe I was no good as a prophet if I didn't share the visions. Maybe it was just a series of odd coincidences explained away by sleep paralysis or an overactive childhood imagination. My adult mind wanted so desperately to believe the latter. My breathing slowed, and I finally began to cling to my rational conclusion on the matter. And I slid back into a lying position and closed my eyes, forcing myself to find sleep. My head shook as I shot out of bed. She didn't say that. She couldn't have said that. I could have sworn I heard, please, no, don't, from my daughter's room in her panicked voice. I sat on the edge of my bed, listening, hoping I was only dreaming. I glanced at the clock, checked the time, 3.34, and that's when I heard the small footsteps running into my room. I barely had time to look up before my daughter slammed into me, throwing her arms around me, weeping. Daddy, I had a bad dream about Grandma. Oh my god. So the reason the mom didn't want to talk about it is probably because the mom witnessed it her entire life oh my god you know a, a hereditary yeah. a hereditary haunt wow that's awesome that is awesome that's kind of what i wanted out of the movie hereditary but that didn't happen <laughs> i wanted a haunt that was that was you know coming for a family instead of just a person yeah that that just sounds gnarly to me damn dude that was cool that was really cool you know what we had a couple of really good stories and one good weird story we have two left let's do it we're breaking into unsettling stories territory which is also known as gross out territory in my opinion Excellent. this guy will write about anything that he thinks might 
churn your stomach. Brought to you by Coke Zero. And I am going to uh, let Sofa King read this one. It is called A Gifted Chef from Unsettling Stories. Six frowns. (laughs) I'm giving you a lot to cut out. (laughs) So you're fine. (laughs) I was lucky enough to be the next-door neighbor of a world-class chef. Like, legit world-class. Like, Michelin star class. Yeah. The real deal. Stuart Thoreau. (laughs) Stuart Thoreau. Maybe you've heard of him. One of the benefits of living near Stuart was getting to try all the sumptuous, creative dishes he'd make whenever he was home. Seriously, guy cooked all the time. As soon as I'd see the lights go on in his house, it was only a matter of time before the thick, luscious aromas wafted into my home. And because he was a great guy, he'd often bring over a plate or two for me to try. It's all like this for the restaurant, he told me. Makes me think of Hannibal a little bit. I hope this guy's a cannibal. I hope he's cooking people. He's gotta be cooking people. (laughs) I would would bet that that he's cooking people. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's on Netflix. I, I highly I'm aware. recommend. Highly recommend. Listen, and man. it's not it's not horrifying. I wouldn't say it's a horrifying show. I'd say it's a it's a play on a procedural drama where you get to see from the killer's perspective for half the show. I've heard really good things. It's very good show. Check out Hannibal on Netflix. Hashtag not a sponsor. I remember this one time when I was sick on a Saturday. I went out to get the newspaper at the same time as him. We said good morning to one another, and that was it. All day long, I smelled the most incredible food cooking. Even though I felt like shit and had been puking all day, my mouth still watered. Around 8 p.m., my doorbell rang. It was Stuart. He was carrying a heavy enameled cast iron pot, a steaming hot baguette, and a bottle of homemade wine. I invited him in. He brought it all into the kitchen, then he served me the most magnificent, heavenly, perfect chicken soup. He told me he hoped I'd get well soon, then he left. I don't know how to adequately wax poetic about this soup. Let me just say it was unlike anything I'd ever put in my mouth. (laughs) No. (laughs) The whole time I ate, I was in a state of contented wonder. A a state of contented wonder. I forgot I was sick. I forgot I'd been doubled over in pain all day. All that mattered were the flavors. The chicken was so tender it melted on my tongue. The vegetables had been diced into the exact size to still have satisfying toothsomeness, despite having bathed in hot broth. Oh, and that broth. It was clear it had been the product of hours of laborious dedication. Salty, sticky with collagen from roasted chicken bones. A taste of sourness from an exotic vinegar that cut through the fatty unctuousness of the deftly seasoned lardons. I could go on and on. (laughs) <laughs> I ate bowl after bowl after bowl. And when I woke up in the morning, I felt like a new man. 100% better. Well, Stuart was at work, so I drove down to the restaurant to personally thank him for helping me. He was gracious and modest, but I knew he knew that he'd made one hell of a chicken soup. Just like any master craftsman, the pride he takes in his work is from the knowledge that he does it perfectly. I insisted that after work, He'd come over to watch the football game. He said he'd be delighted. Right then, Stuart and I became more than neighbors and developed a close friendship. We watched the game, and I learned something about my neighbor. 
that man can fucking drink. <laughs> I guess that's a hallmark of many chefs. They can drink most more. Uh, they can drink most other people under the table. By the end of the game, he'd pounded half a dozen beers and, and the majority of the bottle of wine he'd brought over the night before. That sounds like a normal night. <laughs> then he thanked me, staggered home, and went to bed. Is that a problem? Nope. Uh, all right. That became our weekly ritual. Every Sunday night, he'd finish up at work and come over to watch football with me. And then when football season was over, we'd watch basketball, then baseball, not hockey. And it didn't matter if it was on the couch at my house or in the hot tub at his. Ooh. Basically, <laughs> we'd just drink and bro out. It was good having a friend. Friends to do things for one another. Friends to do one another. <laughs> touch like when, their holes. <laughs> friends to touch their holes. Again, I'm recording. Like when Stuart had to go out of town, he gave me the keys to his house. Did you know I was married? Oh, I... Wait. You're... I'm married. You're married. I'm, ma I'm a married man. Holy shit. Yeah, guys, I'm married. I'm a sofa queen. We sit on our love seat together. <laughs> you called her sofa queen. That's yes. beautiful. Oh, she is. She's my sofa queen. He gave me... Uh, Stuart had to go out of the town. He had to go out of town. He gave me keys to his house so I could feed and take care of his cats. Scotty! A Scotty! <laughs> so king! Ho ho! <laughs> ho ho! Same with me. When business called me away, he'd watch my dog. Uh, by the way, my wife needs to make sure she waters my neighbor's plants and feeds the cat. I gotta remind myself of that. You gotta remind yourself to remind her of the neighbors. We gotta make sure that we get the keys. Right. Yeah, so okay. they don't die. Yeah. The plants or the animals. Right. We don't want a Scotty situation here. Right. Alright. Uh, one Sunday night in the summer, after watching a particularly stressful baseball game on TV, we were both plastered. I was already planning to go to work from home, since there was no way I could go into the office as hungover as I knew I was about to be. Stuart, who didn't who didn't need to go into work until the afternoon, was thanking God for that fact. He stumbled back to his house, and I went upstairs and collapsed. First thing in the morning, as I was brewing a strong pot of coffee and downing a handful of Tylenol for the hideous headache I was enduring, I got a whiff of something fantastic. God damn, Stuart was already up and making something to eat. My stomach grumbled day went by and I struggled to work through the combination of my hangover and the phenomenal aroma coming from Stuart's place. I'd have a mind to call him up and tell him to bring some of whatever it was over, but I didn't. I knew I'd be leaving for work soon. Afternoon burned into evening and the smell intensified. It reminded me of the soup he'd made me when I was sick. It was a shame too, because I assumed he'd gone to work and left it simmering, which meant I wouldn't be getting to taste any of any that night. The next morning, I woke to the same smell. It was still there and even more potent. I was ravenous. I was dying for the stuff. I couldn't help but think of that succulent soup all day as the aroma wafted through my open windows and made it impossible to concentrate on my work. I found myself wishing I'd gone into the office so I didn't have to endure that wonderful smell. I ate my boring sandwich for lunch and then opened a can of soup for dinner. It paled in comparison to the meaty seduction of sailing. <laughs> the meaty seduction. Is that, what, is that what you call like alone time with the wife? The meaty seduction. Yes. <laughs> I, I was thinking. You hey. Thinking, no, that's what I call sofa time. Oh. Ho. No. Oh. I hate it. 
meaty seduction. <laughs> Assailing my nostrils. Meaty seduction. Assailing my nostrils. But it took the edge off, at least. Uh, he's smelling Stuart. Something happened to Stuart. Stuart's cooking himself. I think he was too drunk. I Maybe. He I made himself he into a stew. Oven. I'm a perfect artist. <laughs> I'm a gifted chef. Let me simmer for days. <laughs> yes, a nice broil. Yeah, yeah. Good, uh, good salt levels. I don't fucking know. Uh, as I was cleaning up, someone knocked on my door. I looked out the peephole and saw Clarence, Stuart's business partner. He looked concerned. I let him in. Have you seen Stuart? He asked. Not since Sunday, I replied. But he's been working in his kitchen at home since then. I told Clarence to smell the air and informed it was Stuart's doing. I called him a hundred times before driving over here and knocking on his door. He didn't answer. I felt a flicker of concern. I hadn't seen Stuart either. I just smelled what he'd been cooking. Hang on, I told Clarence. It wasn't Clarence. Then I went into the den and grabbed Stuart's house keys from the drawer. We crossed over to his property and I unlocked his front door. We were greeted with an even more potent scent of the food he'd been making. My mouth watered. I glanced in the kitchen. It was clean, spotless, nothing on the stove. I felt a chill on the back of my neck, despite it being surprisingly warm in the house. Stuart! called Clarence as we wandered through the downstairs. Nothing. I was the first one to go up the stairs. Stuart could have been in his bedroom. It was an enormous it was enormous and had a separate section where there was a big gas-fired hot tub big enough for four people. A massive 80 inch LCD TV hung on the wall. During the winter, it was our favorite place to hang out and get drunk and watch the games. When I reached the top of the stairs, I noticed how humid the air was. I walked into the bedroom. Steam was billowing from the hot tub section. Delicious. Aromatic. Steam. Oh my god. <laughs> I whispered. And screamed down to Clarence as I ran over to the tub. There. Submerged in a shallow pool of boiling water was my friend Stuart. <laughs> Who fucking called it? I think it was you. I think he was going to fall in the oven, though. So the I hot, really, yeah, I thought he was more going to cook himself. Right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the hot tub coming. He accidentally trips holding rosemary in time. It's the bad time to put my herbs away. Oh! His cat's parsley and sage hopped in with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Uh, Clarence ran up beside me and immediately started throwing up in the nearby toilet. In the room? I didn't throw up. I panicked. I grabbed Stuart's arm, which had been hanging over the side of the tub, and tried to pull him out. Despite knowing he was long dead, the skin and muscle of his arm came off easily. <laughs> Effortlessly. It slid away from the bone like the shoulder blade of a braised pork butt. I fell backward, hitting my head against the wall. I still clutched the meaty, gelatinous flesh of his wrist in my hand. My head spun. Clarence called 911. The police and paramedics came quickly. Well, thank God the police came. Uh, told us to leave and did their thing. Ultimately, we'd learn he'd passed out drunk in his hot tub, the gas heater had malfunctioned, and boiled him alive. What I'd smelled over those two days had been my friend cooking in his own juices. The loss of my friend devastated me. The terrible way he died haunted me. 
but nothing compared to the hideousness of the sensation I felt immediately upon finding his body. Nothing came close to the guilt I now feel as a result, because when we found Stuart marinating in his melted fat and the meat which had been become so soft it fell off his bones in great clumps, all I could think was how badly I wanted to taste it. And now, almost a year later, whenever I'd have a cup of soup, I wonder, hmm, I wonder if it's as good as the last one he'd made. <laughs> Unsettling uh, Stories likes to write fun little, fun little twists that was like fun. that. That was cute. It is. I, I think those words are appropriate. We've read a lot of really disgusting shit that they've yeah. read before. That was cute. Um... My first time reading Vor was un, un, unfortunately on an unsettling story. Oh. Which, uh, if, if you don't know what Vor is... I don't. I don't. Vor is uh, when, playing along. when someone big eats someone small. That's people, gross. People get off to it, apparently. It's, it's a kink. I don't, I don't understand See, it. See, you saying that makes me think that you do. No, I just know about it. Okay. I would recommend you listen to the episode to hear my cursed reaction to finding out that we're I reading will. Vor. Because the episode's called the episode where we accidentally read Vor. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and all of us screamed and all of us felt super uncomfortable the entire episode. Oh my god. Because it was like sexual Vor and we all had very similar repulsed reactions to it because not only does this like woman like eat a small man she like blows him first oh my god it's really bad and oh we, my god and we read it on the show <laughs> that's hysterical I, that's what i'm saying that's though. hysterical dude that's what i'm oh my saying god. none of us none i couldn't us, imagine doing that right now uh, it it would have been something but i'll tell you right now i'm glad we didn't <laughs> i am oh, recording shit. still in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read the last story here from Unsettling Stories. Um, it's called He Went Ahead. Um, and the reason I'm reading this is because it reminded me of one of the first stories I've ever read on this show. Um, uh, about a guy who got trapped in a tunnel and all he had was a, a notebook and as he paged through it, he realized it was all written by different people who had gotten that far in the tunnel. Oh, God. And eventually he gets to a blank page and he's like, Oh, is, shit. This is where I start writing. I gotta start writing and not, and not walk die. out of the tunnel. Right, and not yeah. die in the tunnel. Somewhere. Well, you don't want to die in the tunnel, but like, I feel like there are more important things. You gotta get out. That's what I'm thinking. But that's the point. I'm thinking like. The journal is full of people who didn't get out. I'm thinking like, my handwriting's not that good. <laughs> I'm gonna not focus on writing and right. focus on trying to get out. And That's, if I don't yeah. get out, my story is not gonna be written about. Even though I got further, they'll see that the journal is further, and they'll say, "Hey, what about these last three things I did?" It's not written about. <laughs> and then I'll You're be just looking. Writing like, man, like I'll I come really, back down I as really a ghost. Missed that last that last meal I had. It's a really nice sandwich. It's like everyone's like, "No, tell me how to get through the tunnel." I'll come back down as a ghost and say, hey, I'm sorry. I can't write that well. <laughs> I didn't feel like it. I'm sorry. Now go forward on your journey and do well. 
Goodbye. And then they immediately die in a trap. All right, so this story is called... And so on. He Went Ahead from Unsettling Stories. My friends and I used to break into old, run-down places and explore. Urban exploration, very fun. I do not recommend mm. it. This was back before people were videotaping their own explorations and getting ad revenue from their YouTube channels. Back before cell phones, even. We'd go wherever we wanted without much concern for the consequences if we were caught. All of us were still under 18, and Kim's mom was a police officer, so even if we did get in a little trouble, we were fairly confident it'd be taken care of. Michael was the one who usually made the decisions about where we should go. He suggested we check out an abandoned institution about an hour outside of town. A few weeks earlier, after he got out of work, he told me he made a quick trip over there just to see if he could get in, and once he did, he only spent a couple of minutes walking around before he got the creeps. Still, he knew it was exactly the type of place we'd always talked about wanting to explore. Yeah. It'd been defunct for a few decades, but the time we knew about it, and every door was locked and the windows had been boarded up, well, every window on the first couple floors, a tree, which was probably only a few feet tall when the crews went around locking the place up, had grown tremendously in the following tens of years. It was nearly effortless for the four of us to scale the branches and crawl through the window Michael had broken when he'd done his cursory scouting of the place. A couple minutes later, we were standing in a filthy, dust-coated file room. Now, this is where I will give people advice from my own urban exploration. I've, I've been all over Philly. I've been uh, to a tons of places in northeastern PA. Um, always bring sandwiches. Always bring bottles of water. Um, chances are someone is living in the abandoned place that you are now exploring. Yeah. And if you can imagine the equivalent of just walking into someone's living room, imagine walking into a homeless person's, like, den. Um, it's It can be a little scary, but you can, like, de-escalate that mega quick by offering food. Because chances are these people are hungry. And this has and happened. Thirsty, this has happened to yeah. me multiple times. Yeah. Um, I've only once been like accosted for money for being there, in which I promptly turned around with the friends I was with and left. Um, I was not going to give anyone money for basically holding me up to be in a place that they were staying in illegally. Fuck no. Um, probably a meth den of some kind. <laughs> Just walked into the but, wrong place. You know, I, I feel like food and drink is a good thing to bring along I, I will it. recommend it to anyone who who I'm not going to say urban exploration is the safest thing anymore it's not there's a housing crisis that I would say more often than not you're going to run into some shady characters doing it now but when I was a kid it was almost like a um, a fanciful thing to do in your free yeah, time um, it really was especially in our area both in our area, and my, my dad uh, worked all around Philadelphia and Delaware. It was very fun to walk around there. I um, think even if you get even more rural than our, the area that we're currently in, I think if you get even more rural than that, you're going to run some, into less chance. Right. Um, and you but can you still run into some really cool things. Right. But right. you have to watch out for landowners. you got to watch out for... Trespassing signs. Uh, yeah, just people trying to find a place for the night, you know? Yeah. So... I get that. Kim really didn't like how many spider webs were hanging off pretty much everything. 
I can't say I was much a fan either, but my excitement to explore the creepy place overrode my mild arachnophobia. Still, this was southern Florida. Oh, fuck we that. have some enormous spiders down here. Yeah, sure thing. I preferred to not get one on me. Now that we're thinking about Florida, there's tons of abandoned shit down there that I would love to go and look yeah, at. Yeah, you go for it, you man. Can break fuck in, Florida. You could break into where they used to film like Nickelodeon, like gas and all that shit. I don't want to go to Florida, s- man. And you could still walk around all that shit. I would go to like Disney, but like I don't want to go to Florida, man. <laughs> I don't fucking like Florida. It's too hot. It's it weird, man. It's weird. It is weird. It's a yeah. different world. We opened the door of the file room. You go and for found it, though. I am. I am going for it. I believe you. And found ourselves in a long hallway. None of us was sure what the function of the building had been, and from what we'd seen so far, it was still anyone's guess. We took a left down a dimly lit hall, grateful for the high-powered flashlights Michael suggested we bring after seeing how dark the place was on his first trip. Placed on the floor... In front of each room along the hall was its corresponding key. The doors had small windows in them, and we peered through, and it looked like they were basic rooms. Toilet, bed, small desk, little else. The beds were pretty small. I wondered if they were for children. We gave each room a quick glance and determined there was nothing particularly noteworthy inside, so we moved on. At the end of the hall, there was a door leading to a staircase. We propped it open and went into the pitch-black stairwell. The steps leading up ended at a door that was locked. No key was nearby that could have opened it. Heading down, though, after many failed attempts at accessing the lower floors, we finally found a door that was actually open. Here's the problem. As soon as we pulled it open, the door was propped open, slammed shut from what we assumed the air pressure of the other one opening. No one freaked out or anything. We knew we could get out from a window or something pretty easily from the lower floors. Still having no known or obvious way of escape was somewhat unsettling. Unsettling stories. When we stepped through the door and shown our fla- Florida <laughs> and shown our flashlights, gators around the room. Sure. We realized we'd passed the first floor and were in the basement. I wondered aloud what kind of place doesn't label the fucking floors in their stairwell, but no one really cared about my complaint. We were all, We were all wondering how we'd get out of there if there was no windows. From what we could see with our three flashlights since Kim's had died, the basement was enormous. It was one large room and it was filled with junk that we assumed had populated the floors above. Desks, filing cabinets, coat racks, all that stuff. Daryl suggested we split up and look for a way out, but Michael and Kim quickly shot down the idea. I'm pretty sure they were getting scared. I didn't want to say anything, but they weren't the only ones. I don't know why Daryl was so confident. He was usually the one who chickened out at the first sign of trouble. I was grateful for his strength, though. It felt good to have someone who could lead us, even if he didn't know where he was going. We wandered through all the junk in an attempt to find a way out of there, and there was a loud banging sound. Kim realized what it was before any of us and whispered, Was that the door? Murmurs of, Fuck! Variations throughout our small group. Fuck, fuck, fuck. No one was ready to panic, though, not yet. The basement had to have been the size of a football field. We came to an agreement to pair off and go in opposite directions and we'd yell if we found anything. 
Kim and Daryl went one way, I went with Michael in the other. We agreed to travel with only one flashlight. Michael and I didn't come right out and say it, but we figured Kim would be better off with her group having two. We spent a slow ten minute walking through the old furniture until deciding to turn back and follow the wall. The room was even bigger than we realized. From outside, the building was about as long as we'd expect the basement to be, approximately that of a football field. In fact, the basement must have been many times larger. Michael said it was probably connected with all the other buildings on the property, which meant it could have been almost a quarter mile in each direction. I hoped that wasn't the case. The flashlights wouldn't last that long, and the last thing I wanted to deal with was complete blackness. I knew I'd panic. As we progressed, we started seeing doors. They were all locked, though. No keys, no windows. Michael yelled to Daryl and Kim and asked if they found anything. His voice didn't echo. It almost sounded as if it stopped right in front of his face, like he was standing in front of a wall. Mm. We heard no response from our friends. Our flashlight was growing noticeably dimmer. Uh-oh. I thought its intensity had been diminishing for the last couple minutes, but I'd done my best to put it out of my mind. But there was no denying it now. Michael had picked up his pace, forcing me to rush to catch up to the long-legged stride. I yelled for the others, hearing my own voice die inches from my mouth, and I could hear Michael breathing quickly. Was he sobbing? He was too far ahead for me to see any tears, and I was almost jogging to catch up, and we kept on for what felt like ten minutes. How had we not run into the others yet? Michael stopped dead in his tracks, and I skidded to a stop to avoid bumping into him, and there was a right turn down a narrow passage. At the very, very end barely illuminated by the still dimming light was a metal ladder a chance michael ran and i did my best to follow the light was almost useless we reached the end and both grasped the ladder and michael shone the lamp upward whatever had been there maybe a hatch maybe just a, an opening to another floor was nothing but concrete ceiling he yelled fuck and the word sounded like it was coming from underwater fuck <laughs> The flashlight strobed weakly. He turned around and shone it around the narrow corridor. And a few feet in front of us, on the right, was a door. Let's try that, he told me. We'd given up trying the doors we'd run by after all of them were locked. I was surprised he wanted to bother, but in our hopelessness, we walked over and I tried the knob. It opened. I walked in as Michael shone the sputtering flashlight in front of him, and the room was small and empty almost empty. In the corner, there was a lump. Holy shit, I exclaimed and ran towards it. Right as our flashlight died, I grabbed what I'd seen for a brief moment. It was another flashlight. I couldn't believe our luck, despite being terrified of the Stygian blackness enveloping us. I fumbled for the switch and flipped it upward, and Michael stood in the doorway. The light was strong and unwavering, and only then did I register the hideous smell of the room. Somehow obscured by my earlier panic, I shone the light around the tiny, filthy area. Nothing. I turned around and pointed it at the lump behind where I saw the flashlight, and sitting in the corner was a corpse. Oh! Its flesh swollen with putrefaction. Gray eyes pushed out of its thick, unrecognizable purple face. Its distended tongue bulging from lips that looked like a circle of rotting slugs, worms fed 
I retched. The corpse was wearing a green cargo shorts and a buccaneer's jersey, both of which had been soaked through with greasy fluid. That's your problem. Green cargo shorts and a buccaneer's jersey. Mm. I swirled around and looked at Michael, who was standing in the doorway. Green cargo shorts and a buccaneer's jersey. I muttered something I can't remember and he dropped the dead flashlight and took two steps towards me. I screamed and stumbled backwards, falling into the cadaver, and it felt like a swollen body burst under my weight. Soft, jelly-like material clung to my back, neck, butt, and arms. The smell was incomprehensible. Flies buzzed angrily in my ears as I struggled to my feet and tried to keep the flashlight shining on the person, the thing I'd been walking with brilliant white of the lamp illuminated its face again. It hadn't moved any further after those first steps. It stared through me at the corner where Michael's destroyed body sat, and neither of us moved. Then its lower eyelids drooped. It almost looked like it had a stroke, only on both sides of its face. The skin continued to fall lower and lower, exposing the musculature underneath. The eyes burst from their sockets and hung down, swinging on their optic nerves. Then its mouth opened. I was paralyzed by abject terror. The mouth opened wider and wider, the jawbone snapping and popping as if shattered in protest at the constant force. The lower mandible hung flaccidly from its cheeks, connected only by skin. From its throat, something white began to drip, then pour, then flood. Repulsive, milky liquid gouted from the gaping hole in its throat. It splashed on the ground, soaking my feet and shins and knees. It was so slick, so warm, a pervasive shower of liquid body heat that reminded me of semen and amniotic fluid. Would it come right out and say it? The thing grabbed both sides of my head and I dropped the flashlight and it shone uselessly against the wall before blinking out, destroyed by the gushing fluid. In utter blackness, I felt incomprehensibly strong hands and arms pull me towards its mouth. My forehead touched the flood. I was pulled in further and further. I gasped and aspirated the fluid. As I choked and coughed, more of it filled my lungs. I knew I was about to die. The blackness disappeared. I awoke to a flashlight being shown in my face. Daryl was yelling my name while Kim screamed unintelligible blather beginning and ending with the word Michael. Daryl hauled me to my feet and practically carried me down the hall across the expansive basement and through the area they'd explored. Kim ran behind us sobbing. I vomited milky bile as we went, coating Daryl's arm who gave no sign of noticing or caring. I have no idea how far we went, but I remember seeing daylight creeping around the beam of his flashlight, and over time the flashlight became increasingly useless and he dropped it. We moved on and on. I was eventually able to run on my own and I followed them cluelessly, but before I knew anything we were outside, I passed out. I was in the hospital for days that passed in a haze of incomprehension. Gradually, I regained some semblance of consciousness. Inquisitiveness followed. Michael, I was told, was dead. I found his body. 
They assumed the shock of seeing my dead friend induced some temporary hysteria which caused me to desecrate the corpse, but still no one knew what had happened to him. The fact his body looked like it had been dead for three weeks eliminated me from being a suspect in his death, but no one could explain how he'd gotten to such a state of decomposition. Not only his three friends, but his parents and co-workers could verify they'd spoken and interacted with him every day up until he was found. I haven't said anything about what happened with Michael, or the Michael-shaped creature, after the body was found. I also didn't mention Michael had scouted out the place three weeks before the visit. I just wanted to believe I hallucinated the whole thing, but that didn't explain the unidentifiable organic fluid they found all over me, some of which had been dried in gluttonous clumps that could only be removed by excising chunks of my skin. Twenty years later, every time I finger the scar tissue of the old excisions, I can still taste the stuff on my mouth, pouring down the back of my throat. Whenever I sit back in a chair, I expect it to burst like the body of my friend I once loved, and every time I get within twenty miles of the abandoned institution, I can hear Michael screaming for me to come back and help him. Damn. That story was gnarly. Yeah, that's I liked, nasty. I liked it a lot. I think that was the nastiest one you and I read. Well, you you admitted he came right out and said, come. And it's like, this this is absolutely the type of guy to do that, you know? Um, he, he absolutely does shit like that. Yeah. Um, because our stories are usually... I, I feel like they're not as gruesome and... No, you and we I. We can only, more take. You and I have only read no sleeps. We've only read no sleeps. No, your first story was from Tumblr. Yeah, dude. My first story was just Tumblr. Yeah. And then your second one was no sleep. Yeah, unsettling stories tends to be less tame. Yeah. They, they go the extra mile to make you uncomfortable. For sure. And it works. It does. I thought that story was gnarly. It was. Which, which out of the six that we read today was your favorite? Oh, man. Uh, they were good. Uh, I really liked the... Uh, I liked the swan story before I got in, even. Um, all the swans are gone. All the swans are gone. I like that a lot, too. The swan song. It's, it's funny that I think that one was my favorite, too. And I think it's just... It comes down to being someone in a situation that you have zero control over and wondering like should I really leave like should I go can I go um we've read other stories like it before where there's just like a force that's keeping someone somewhere and it makes you feel very trapped it makes you feel like a prisoner like you're you're stuck in your own actions yeah I think that's like a really fun trope um there's nothing you can do about it you're just gonna get fucked up Right, and yeah. I, I think that's the most fearsome part, and the yeah. fact that he's just like, yeah, I know I'm gonna die, and here's all I want to say. I can't say. really do anything. Yeah, here's all I want to say. Like, if you hear of a town that's known for its swans, don't go. The swans are the gone. The swans are gone. It's re it's replaced by monsters. It's nothing what it was, you know? Like, there's there's something almost pseudo-sociological and political about that statement. Like, nothing is as it seems. Everyone is covering up something dirty, you know? There's there's a lot of ugliness in the world, but and and there's what, a lot of people who can't do anything thing, about it. Exactly, and what yeah. symbolic beauty you hear about doesn't exist. It's yeah. there on a superficial level, but everyone is secretly dealing with some shit, 
And, like, yeah. I feel that, and I think that's a powerful story. Now, that being said, I did really like this last one that I read. I really liked um, it, too. I, I will say he, I had the most fun. He Went Ahead was a good read. I had the most fun on the uh, the one where I was your mom. <laughs> Some things are better left unsaid. Yeah. With the, uh, the fortune telling of disasters and, and death. Um... That's a that's a good one too. I think no sleeps are solid. I think I think creepy pastas are hit or miss. Um I mean I liked the cat story. It's just a little un- unbelievable. It's just a little yeah. out, it's a little out there. Yeah. It was whereas, a good warm up. Whereas the Mayuko story was more like color by numbers, very urban legend, very something that someone would, you know, tell around a fucking campfire in Japan, like very funny. Absolutely. Um, and then we get into like no sleep which kind of puts context to the story, makes it feel like they're coming from real people. And then Unsettling takes it a step further by putting people in really crazy circumstances. So, um, yeah, I think, we, I think we both like reading No Sleeps the most. I would agree. So maybe next time we'll just read an entire episode of random No Sleep stories. That sounds great. But uh, I, had, I had a really good time, Sofa King. Yeah, me too. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's what's your question? I feel like this is a couch. We kind of went into that, right? Yeah, this is definitely a couch. Are you in the market for a sofa right now? Um, you know this this was a set, right? That's it's a part. But how long have you had it? <laughs> I would say it was a gift I got two Christmas. Right. Ago. So I feel like you're at the age where you are able to start venturing out on your own like you you don't want to be the product of you know what is given to you you want to go you go get it's very true though you know what you're i mean saying you're saying things i'm nodding my head to yeah so i think that it's time get out there come on up to Lidditz. it's an hour and 23 minutes away it's not that far it's not that bad it's really not it's, it's really not it's somewhere between like kind of harrisburg Pennsylvania uh, if if you can get our location from an hour and 23 minutes away well done well done uh, come on up and come get yourself a sofa I offer free delivery for all orders of over seven thousand dollars you're gonna love it and uh, my my boys my boys my little sectionals my sofa princes my jesters, come on! Oh, okay, okay, all right. Come on, my uh, my salespeople are my my princes. Okay. Yeah, my wife's my queen. <laughs> my salespeople are my princes. My kids are my jesters. <laughs> so for king. My father's my lord. <laughs> my lord. So silver so lord. <laughs> Get on the show, dad. Get on the fucking show. If you're listening to this right now, dad. First of all, what the fuck? First, I don't even listen to this. First off, what the. F- what the fuck, Dad? How'd you find this shit? I didn't show you. So this was episode 179. It was great. With Sofa King. This is great. And uh, this this was great. It was a good time. It was good seeing you, bud. Yeah. It's been a while. You know what? Did we make the shirt? The Hot Famales? <laughs> Did we make that shirt with the, the no. busted out? Well, no. okay. So no. as a reminder... Well, we didn't go into full detail, but there are a couple of uh, visuals that I'm imagining. So, Hafamale on the shirt, like kind of like Napoleon Dynamite style font in uh-huh. the, in the front, and then the 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 nips are cut out, 
like just uh but a big enough sp- space that like you know depending on who you are male or female you you have enough room to let whatever you got out but what you got on top of them i think what you have to do you got to get some like uh chili pepper cutouts and put them on top and then you lift them up <laughs> if you want to stay covered up you can but then you let out your famales <laughs> hot famale I'm so fucking Land until we stand at the shore.